I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So this is just where boot up in the morning, so they come in, the boots are... Hello everybody, it is really great to have you with us again for this brand new episode of The Drop-In. This week, it's only one of the most delightful men in football we've got for you. A man who scored 149 Premier League goals, the 11th most in the history of the division. He made 17 appearances for England and was so well-loved that wherever he went, fans went ahead and knighted him. It is, of course, Les Ferdinand. Now he's QPR's director of football, so we packed up our kit and headed over to his office for a proper chat over a high-quality cup of tea made by Sir Les himself. But before we settled in, he treated us to a tour of QPR's training ground, which is getting a bit of a glow-up. Is this, is this what is this? So basically, yours? this will be the new this will be the new building. I reckon will be finished by um this well for pre-season. Just walking outside from the back of what is the training ground now, but or the training facility. Facility. Yes. Yeah, I've got to use the right terminology. Training ground. Yeah. The training. This training facility. <laughs> and we're out onto the practice pitches. Everybody's training free kicks right now, amongst other things. Once, once it's finished, it'll house, it'll house the first team, the youth team. It'll house everyone here on one on one site. All these all these buildings will come down. These will become more pitches. At the moment, this is um this is a deso. All, all, all three of these pitches are deso pitches, basically the best pitches you can get. Got it. And then we've got two more going in there. And I don't even think at Premier League clubs they've got five deso pitches. So two more deso pitches will go in there, and then the configuration will be so that we have a, a dome, um, and it is everything on one site. And when I was at the, the previous place, Harlington, you had no you had no youth team players here. So they never got to new team players. Never got to see the first team. Yeah. So I often say to people, it's like it's like running a race, uh, and there's no finishing line. Now they can see the finish line because they see the first team players and they realise that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. And so uh, I think for for QBR going forward, this is going to be absolutely massive. 
That's so important. I, t- yeah. I told them I know there's like a hierarchy about who's allowed in what restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that a thing that you guys do? Yeah, well, that, that will be the same. So that, that you, you'll have the first team section, and then you'll you'll have a a, a sort of like B team and, and, and youth team section. Um, the, the, the B team and the, and, the, and the first team will integrate a bit more than what they did at Spurs and then the youth team will be on a separate side because you, you have to I think there has to be that aspiration element as well you know that you, you're not got, straight yeah in. you've got you've yeah. got to, you've got you've got to work to get there and that's how we want it brilliant yeah thank you so much for showing no us problem. this I know you've got your half past yeah, 12 um, heads of department meeting oh very nice cheered by yours truly oh yeah yes do you uh, Get people to raise their hand. What's your, yes. st- what's your meeting yeah. style? How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you? Good. Good. You? Good. My meeting style. No, it's, it's just it's, it's really. I, I, when I go into it, I say this can this can be as long or as short as you <laughs> want it to be. If you've got any complaints or anything you want to talk about, come out with it. But don't come in my office afterwards and say, "Oh, this ain't happening or that ain't happening or someone ain't done this or someone ain't done that." Yeah here's the chance to bring it out if you've got a problem with any department if you're not happy with the physios if you're not happy with this this is where you talk about it so we've come back in from where the new training facility is going to be and we're now back into Les's office two pretty comfy chairs so very comfy time to get going we'll sure. on his door and I said Razor you know what's all this about he said just sort of you the most important lesson you always look after number one first Impey Darren's there if he can tee him up his cross and it's 3-2 it's Ferdinand again and Queen's Park Rangers are back in it a second for Les Ferdinand we used to stand and start the, the, the centre circle and we used to say should we cause mayhem today on one and here come Newcastle again comes the cross Ferdinand's header one of our fellow people on the ramble, Pete Donaldson, who's a Newcastle fan. The way it was put in the text he sent me was, is it true that you got a helicopter licence so you could just go and float about in the sky and get away from it all? Marker who crossed from the left in the first place, gets another try. And Ferdinand does two and scores! His seventh goal in seven games, and it has stunned Anfield. I remember just as I was about to go out the door, he went to me, I hope you failed a medical. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for talking to us, Les Ferdinand. This is so, we're, we've been so looking forward to this. Um, we want to talk to you lots about your football career, of course, generally, but we wanted to start by talking about what you do now because you're one of very few directors of football that our listeners will have ever heard from in any kind of detail right so um we're sitting down together on a on a Tuesday presumably this is not always what your Tuesdays look like what does a normal Tuesday look like for you in this job well a n- normal Tuesday at this time we've just gone past 11 o'clock uh, the team have just gone out to, to train I would normally saunter out uh, what's training um have a chat but I was in the, the manager's office this morning we got a game tomorrow um so they're, they're prepping for the game tomorrow so um, I was in there talking about um, team selection with him, uh, or he was running the team selection by me. What his what his plans are, what he's thinking of doing, and the way he's going. And then we we had a bit of a chat. And then um, I would normally go out and train it and just watch training um, because they're they're doing the bits and pieces leading up to, to to the game tomorrow. So the director of football job for lots is presumably fairly different in different clubs, is it or? My understanding of it is basically that it's about managing everything football-related, actually apart from coaching and team selection. But it sounds like you were involved in those as well. Yeah, and when I, when I say I just I, I go in and I have a chat with the manager virtually every morning and we talk about different things. I don't get involved in in team selection. He will just say to me, "This is what the, what the, the, what team I think they're playing uh, and why." Um, so that's just, that's just general chit chat. That's not. Me going there and saying what you're playing, what you're doing, blah blah blah. That's just general chit chat of the morning. Um, but you're right. Um, I was on a course uh, probably about two years ago with the FA. It was a director's course, and and basically what it was, it was, I think it was based around giving the, the general public a, a, a good idea of what 
director of role, uh, director of football role meant to, to, to people. Because mm. people often say, what do you actually do? What does it, what does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and there was, a, I think there was 12 of us on the course from different clubs. And I think the realisation by the end of it is it means different things at different clubs. Yeah. Um, you know, different owners uh, of football club want different things from their director of football. Some directors of football are heavily laden in terms of uh, recruitment, uh, player recruitment. Yeah. And then some, as you say, which is probably my role a little bit more, is you deal with everything outside of the coaching and uh, the, the, the managing of the players. Yeah. Um, but everything, managing the staff and everything else is where it is my role and making sure I can, to the best of my ability, give the manager what he wants to be able to make him successful. So it's like a manager, it's almost like a managerial role in a small company. Do you think? Yeah, it's it's kind of like for for instance, my my, my I see my role as um, I work for the football club. Uh, yes, of course, I want the best for the, the the manager while he's here and doing his job, and you know we're helping him to do his job to the best of his ability. But then sometimes a manager comes in and might have a few selfish ideas about what he wants. Mm. Does that benefit the football club? And that's where your director of football comes in because he has to make sure all the decisions that are made are made for the benefit of the football club rather than the, med- the, the benefit of an individual. That's why there might be more longevity or ideally you might want your director of football to be there for the longer term like you have been. Yeah, because you, you, you're looking at the club holistically rather than over, the, over a year or two year, three year span, whatever your contract might be. A lot of it then it sounds like is about you setting the culture of the club. 100%, yeah. And making sure people are happy and able to come and talk to you yep uh, adhering to what we want as a football club where we see ourselves going as a football club and yeah and comfortable to come and knock on my door and say if there's an issue we 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 deal with it um you know the the, the most important people at a football club are normally the players but there's lots of individuals around the football club that need recognition as well and so you need to make sure they're in in a good place because without them the football club doesn't function as well as you you want it to because a lot of the, our listeners will probably only have seen inside a f- inside a football club from one of those like all or nothing documentaries. Yeah. And most of them, it looks absolutely terrifying the idea of going into any of those offices. Yeah. So it must be quite hard to generate that sense. Yeah. Um. You. It's a. a you, you're trying to gen- generate a sense of a belonging for everybody. Um, yeah. Everybody at this football club is important. You know. I don't. You, you don't just come in here in the morning and say good morning to the players. You know. There's there's a load of people that, you know. Um, from the security guards to the, the laundry lady to, to everyone that's involved at this football club, we we all want to make them feel that they're, they're part of what what we're doing and how we uh, and what we're trying to achieve here. An important job you just had recently was appointing a new head coach, McBeal, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I was reading that you looked at twenty four possible options for mm-hmm. head coach and then and then interviewed six. What what is that like? What's a head coach interview like? I mean, it's uh, we we did it a different. A bit differently this time around. In in, in the past, um, when you say twenty four, we probably had more than twenty four candidates. Mm. Um, but in the past, what happens as soon as you you you, you lose a manager, you, the, the phone doesn't stop ringing and everyone puts themselves forward for for the job. I say, everyone. oh my god, so it'll be like your mates ringing up, being like, when I, when I say it's not so much more mates, but yeah, there's people that I've I've played football with in the past who are now um have gone into management and um. I'll get a call from an agent saying, look, mm. my, 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 my client's interested in, 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 in the job and we look at the criteria that we're looking for in terms of a manager. Um, and if we feel that person's up, you know, on the list of what we're looking for, then we'll, we'll, we'll interview. Um, so, yeah, myself and Lee Hughes, who's the CEO of the football club, we probably did, yeah, anywhere between 20 and 25 interviews. Mm. Um, off the bat and then we kind of wilted it down um, this time around the process was a bit different because what we did we threw a load of algorithms into into a computer okay. and said in terms of what we were looking for as a manager um, someone who saw like had uh, you know youth team development in their, in their, in their criteria worked in, a, in an academy um, because it, for us as a football club, it, we're, we're hell bent on trying to produce players. Yeah. Um, we can't go out. We can't afford to buy someone for ten million or five million pounds. So we have to look at our academy as a, as being, you know, a place where we go and take players out of and and, and make them better. We're going to go and buy someone for you know half a million pound, a million pound. Can we turn them into a five, ten million pound player? That's what we have to look at. So for to have to to be able to do that you have to have someone with a with a development background in them so um as i said we threw a load of algorithms into a computer and it came up with some to be fair it came up with probably 100 names um in this country and abroad 
And then you kind of like, you start to decipher. You start to say, right, okay, well, this person won't be right because... And yeah, it came up with some of the top managers in the Premier League as well. Um, so straight away, you're, you're crossing. Well, there's you, 20 of them, you're, you're, you're crossing off and then you go down the list and you go, right, okay. Um, so it's like football manager, kind of football manager tools. To, to a degree, oh, um, cool. to a degree. Uh, and then you, you can't like eliminate people because you know they're just not coming to QPR. And then, and then you look at a list of candidates that you think would be suitable for QPR who are perhaps out of work. Um, as as for Michael Bill, Michael Bill was already in in work as a coach at at, um, at, a, at a Aston Villa at the time with uh, Stephen Gerrard, but um, he he fitted in the, into the mould and uh, the the criteria of what he was looking for. Does the women come up in the in the algorithm? Um, there, do, do they no, feature in the data? There Could wasn't they? no, there wasn't any okay. any any women in in the data at the moment. Um, and I think as time goes on, yeah. that will happen. But at the moment, um, in terms of the the the, the the algorithms that we put in, no, no women came up on the on the rostrum. I suppose that's one of the main things that we've seen in women's football generally. Actually, is that part of the one of the many gaps is the data gap. As yeah, well. exactly. So yeah, oh well, it'll be fascinating to talk to you about it in like ten years. Um, what do you? So when you're sitting down for this interview, what are your? Do you have one or two most important questions that you always ask? Um, yeah, there's 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 probably more than one or two important yeah. questions. Yeah, but is there one where you're like, I've got to get this in? Uh, no, because we do it. We try to do it in a in a in a way we don't have a, a like. I say we don't have a list. We try to ask the 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 questions in a conversation, yeah. Rather than just going right, do you like X Y Z or do you do X Y Z? You know, we 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 can't like we. <laughs> to be fair, me and Lee have been for a few managers now, so we're quite skilled at um, asking the questions in a roundabout way and um, getting the answers that we're looking for. But it's more about you trying to uncover. If you think they're, you know, like sincere about developments and and they understand what you guys are trying to do. Yes, that's correct. And, uh, you know, over the years we've deciphered that a lot of them come in saying the right things, but actually doing them and putting them into practice when it comes to it, they, they, they haven't done that. So um, we're, we're quite aware of uh, where we are and where we need to be and what, where we need to go and what we need to do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that will say, the right things to get the job and then when they get through the door they do something entirely different so a lot of it probably is due diligence yeah, as well exactly that's when you start calling your mates yes <laughs> correct <laughs> um as a player obviously you came through non-league football mm-hmm. so um viking greenford no longer no longer existing from what i saw yeah. um southall as well just down the road correct um hayes which is where you were spotted and of course then signed by qpr um I spoke to Brentford's Ethan Pinnock recently who had a similar-ish kind of non-league journey. Um, but it's a relatively unusual story today. How much do you guys try and tap into non-league when you're recruiting? I mean, it's, it's, it's really funny because, you know, people ask me this question a lot and, you know, they, you know, a lot of people say, where's the next Jamie Vardy? You know, why aren't we looking into the non-league area to, to, to get the next Jamie Vardy? And I say to people all the time, I said, the problem with you guys is that you want instant success. The Jamie Vardy that you're seeing today ain't the Jamie Vardy that came out of non-league football. It took time. It was mm. a process. Uh, but when you, if I went and bought a non-league player today and went, right, this is going to be the next Jamie Vardy, after two games, you'd be going, he's rubbish, he ain't Jamie Vardy. <laughs> What's he doing in the team? Do you know yeah. what I mean? We, we ain't got the patience anymore. You know, We live in an instant society. Everything's instant now. Yeah. And so, and that works for players as well. You see players that come in for, you know, 100 million you know 90 million whatever it may be people want instant success yeah. people ain't waiting around for uh, the next Jamie Vardy the next Les Ferdinand the next Ian Wright and you know you, you name it they're not waiting around for them it's not they haven't got time and you know I oft, I, I speak to people and I say in the Premier League if the Premier League a Premier League club went out and yeah. said they were going to they were going to take it on board uh, a non-league player most supporters go where's our ambition Unless you're spending 30, 40, 50 million in the Premier League, as far as the sports are concerned, you're not competing. Mm. So for us, yeah, we, 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 we have scouts that go into non-league football um, and, and it's a process uh, of, you know, if we think someone's good enough and we, we, we can give them an opportunity, we, we'll, we'll try to do that. Is it more difficult? Because obviously with academies being so good now, is it just a more of a labour-intensive process to be trying to run around non-league grounds hoping you might see someone who might 
have been missed? I think you know most most scouts, most 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 managers, most uh, coaches will tell you um, when someone gets spotted in non-league, it's because someone's seen them and they've called a friend of theirs who've said, look, blah blah blah. Someone needs to go and see this kid at blah blah blah, and then someone goes down and watches him, and then the name gets banded about, and someone might know me, someone might know Chris Ramsey, someone might know Michael Bill, or whoever one of my coaches are, and say, look, he's worth looking at. And then we'll send someone down to, to to look at them. I mean, over this this summer period, um, we've had probably three or four people contact us to say, right, there's a player at such and such a, a place that you need to go and have a look at. And then we'll send one of the scouts down to go and look at them. And we don't go and look at them over one game. You know, we go over, you know, home away, maybe home again and away again. You know, three or four times before we make a decision. And we don't send the same person every time. We send someone different so that we're getting a good opinion of what they're going out to see and if they think that the player's um, worth bringing in then we'll bring them in for, for, for a couple of weeks on, on trial. Well, this is the stuff of dreams. <laughs> I, yeah. This is really, imagine that if someone suddenly, you suddenly realise this is a scout who's watching you and they're here for you. And what we try to do, but, but, but the truth is we, when, when we go, we understand that if, 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 I, if I was to say to a player, like scouts watching you to, to today, you're probably going to try and do too much yeah. to try and impress that scout. So we never let anyone know that we're coming to watch. Mm-hmm. We just send our scouts down and they'll go and they... What, in they, Yeah, they go, you know, incognito. Um, no one knows who they are. They just go in and they, they'll pay at the turnstiles. Yeah, that's um, a good idea. And so they like just restaurant go and, critics. Yeah, exactly. And they just go in and, and, and they watch and they come back and they do a report. Um, because I think, you know, if, 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 if a player knows that you're looking at him, like I said, he'll end up trying to do too much just to try and impress you. And is that how it was for you? Yeah, I think, it, you know, for, you know, even when I was at Southall, you know, there was rumours of clubs looking at me and, 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 and showed an interest. Um, a couple of times I was told that scouts had come down and, yeah, and I think I tried to, to overdo it and, 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 and be the best I could possibly be. But, and I probably wasn't because I was trying to overdo it um, to try and impress someone. Um, when I was at when I was at Hayes and I was told that you know QBR were interested, I didn't actually believe it. I was told a few clubs were interested, so I just carried on playing football. Didn't think there were scouts there or, or anything like that. And um, and then fortunately for me, there was. And and like I said, the process was. Uh, I know Peter Shreves went. Uh, Bobby Ross. Bobby Ross was the first one to come and look at me. Uh, and then he turned around and said to to the club, "Look, there's a there's a kid playing at Hayes that I think we should look at." He looked at me again. I think Peter Shrews came down, Frank Sibley came down, and then eventually uh, Jim Smith came down. So um, you were yeah. almost not a kid, though, were you? I mean, yeah, I was you were, nineteen. Exactly. Yeah, was yeah 19. you were painting and decorating yeah, alongside your football as well, because it wasn't it wasn't your job, right? No, so. exactly. So I had to I had to work, and and all the jobs I did just allowed me to 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 train on a Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening. Thursday evening and play on a Saturday. So I couldn't have a job where I had to work on a Saturday because I wanted to play football. So I played football Saturday, Sunday. I found the Sunday football quite easy because, you know, you were playing with your mates and it was a bit of fun. We used to go to the clubhouse afterwards and, and have a, a bite to eat and, 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 and a nice afternoon on a Sunday. Ferdinand. He might just get away here. Still Ferdinand. He's got Sinton to his left. Andy Sinton bearing down on goal. And it's in from Ferdinand. More than deserve. So, did you think you were going to be a pro? No, never ever thought I was going to be a professional ah. footballer. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah imagine it really thing. was not in your mind. And I think at 19, um, I probably knew that anyone signing me would have to sign me as a pro. So, I, I thought professional football had passed me by in terms of ever becoming a professional footballer. So, I thought to myself, uh, let me just play non-league football to the best level I possibly could. So I sort of got my head down and said, right, OK, I've finished at uh, Southall. The, the team disbanded at Southall after playing in the FA Vars final. And then um, I got a call from uh, a fellow called George Goody, who was the manager of uh, Hayes at the time, and said, look, we're lo- we've lost our centre forward. We're looking for one. We know that you, you, you know, we've, we've liked you for a while. Why don't you come down and do pre-season? I went down and did pre-season and um, signed for Hayes. Uh, they signed me on a contract at the time. And um, I was there for seven months. So I'd been at Southall for about three years, went to Hayes for seven months, and uh, Hayes got all the rewards rather than Southall getting anything. Was it the Newcastle contract that they got £600,000 off yeah. the back of Hayes? Yeah, and so then they what, built, a sta- built a stand. Yeah, built, uh, I think there was a room. Or that, built a, yeah, the, something the that had your name on it, it anyway. Got, it got knocked down anyway. But, um, now yeah, what, when they yeah. combined, yeah. What happened was, um, I think, 
the they signed me for thirty thirty thousand mm. with a ten percent sell on. So when I left uh, when I left the uh, QBR and went to to uh, Newcastle, I got six hundred grand. How does that make you feel? That's sort of mad numbers, really. Yeah, you know, back back yeah. in back in the day, it was it was bad uh, mad numbers. You know, uh, here I was never ever believing that I was going to uh, be a, a professional footballer, and you know, I think at the time, I think Andy Cole had gone to uh, Man United. He'd gone for seven seven and a half million, but Keith Gillespie went back the other way for two and a half million. So that was a five million pound deal, and I'd, I'd gone to to Newcastle for six million. So. Um, never in my wildest dreams ever thinking about, you know, those sort of figures. But Andy Cole, you were there in the frame first for yes. going to Manchester United, <laughs> weren't you? Yes. And I think this is a very interesting story because it seems as though, we've kind of glossed over your time at QPR, but I'm sure it'll continue to come up, but it seems as though you were patient and... Uh, respectful of what was being asked of you, mm-hmm. and it possibly cost, or definitely cost you a move to Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, I was. It was. It, it was really strange because um, Ray Wilkins, who was like instrumental in in being part of my career when I was here at QPR, he came and um, uh, he he spent a few a good few years here, and um, we, we we had a great little team. When, when Ray was here with some really good players and then Craig, Ray left and went to to Crystal Palace uh, and then he called me one 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 after one Sunday evening and said to me look he said I've just had a chat with Alex Ferguson and um, he wanted to know about your character he didn't need to know anything about your football as far as your football is concerned he knows all about your football just wanted to have a word about your character because I think we see this a lot in the media when you've got a player that's uh, you know born and bred in London it the, the press always talk about him not wanting to go up north and wanting to be be in London. He's a London boy. He doesn't want yeah, to yeah, doesn't yeah. want to go up north and blah blah blah. So that, all those things were being banded about. So Alex Ferguson was asking Ray Wilkins, and Ray Wilkins said, "Look, they're going to make an offer for you the next day," and they did. Uh, I knew about it. I spoke to my chairman, and he said to me, um, "What do you want to do?" And I said, well, "Look, it's Man United." What do you think? Yeah. So he said to me, "Okay, leave it with me." He spoke to Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis resigned. And um, Jerry said, like, you know, if you're going to sell Les during the season, I'm going. So Jerry... Jerry he resigned because that yeah. because you were going to go. And Jerry tells the story himself um, because I, I actually did a dinner with Jerry uh, a few years ago now because uh, just before the COVID and, and he told the story uh, while we was up on stage together and he said, yeah, I, I told the club if you sell Les uh, during the season, I'll, I'll resign. And he did. And so the, the chairman came to me and he said, I can't lose my... Um, my top centre forward and my manager in the same week, you know. So um, let's have a think about what we do going forward here. So I said, yeah, no problem. I, I totally get that. Um, and he said, and then he came back and he said, I might, I might have found something to appease it. Uh, and he went and spoke to Ray Wilkins and asked Ray Wilkins would he come back as manager. So I always remember him calling me, and I was thinking, well, that's great because Ray knows all about this and blah blah. So he came back and he said to me, I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> I said, um. Well, give me the good news first. He said, well, Ray, Ray's decided he'll come back as manager. So I, was, I was thinking, player manager. I was thinking, brilliant. He said, bad news, he'll only come back if we don't sell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. He came back and I always remember knocking on his knocking on his door as soon as he came in. Knocked on his door and I said, Razor, you know, what's all this about? And he said, I've just taught you the most important lesson in the world. I said, what's that? He said, you always look after number one first. And that was it. But meaning that you should have. No, nah, he's he, basically him coming back. He had to look after number one. So he felt if he would lost me, the team would struggle. Yeah. Um. So he's looking after number one first. So he's but not what about, about you? What about it, well, you being number saying. one? He's not. He's he's number one, not me. And yeah, maybe I could have forced it through, but that just wasn't my. It wasn't my character. I wasn't going to sit here at the club and go right. This club had been really good to me. Um, they looked after me really well. Um, uh, I had a good rapport with the supporters and everything else. So I wasn't going to kick up a fuss and say, "Right, I'll go, I want to go." You know, I was that. That wasn't my nature. And I'm a real firm believer in in, in life and what's meant to be will be. And so he came through. We had we had a chat about it, uh, and he said, "Look, I know you're going to go at the end of the season, um, but I just can't afford to lose you now." Um, so we had a proper chat about it, and I remember all the papers. You know, some one a few of the papers had got wind of it. 
um, of what had happened and, and, and started trying to, to, to cause a, a few ruptures between me and, 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 and Ray. And I think we went to West Ham and I scored a couple of goals at West Ham and, and the headlines was Les Miserable. And he was and he was like, does he look what miserable? Like he scored two goals. Does he look miserable? Do you know what I mean? And it, it just wasn't. It was just people trying to, to cause a problem for us. One of your best QPR goals is against is against Manchester United in that year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have been well yeah, it was at the end of the it was end of ninety four, right? So it would yeah. have been off. So it would have been yeah, so yeah. So yeah, it would have been around yeah, it would have been around there. Yeah, so there you no go. No coincidence. <laughs> Hodge trying to make a run from midfield and get free. Sinclair on the ball. Ferdinand dropping a bit deeper and hitting it instantly. An extraordinary goal from Les Ferdinand. It flew into the top corner. Absolutely no chance for Gary Walsh. The earliness of the shot surprised him and the speed of the shot left him totally without hope. A fantastic goal from Les Ferdinand, which will only encourage Manchester United to look at him eagerly should he become available in the transfer market. But they love him here, the Queen's Park Rangers fans, and you can see why. That's smashing. That's interesting because, of course, you're the reason, or one of the reasons why, first of all, QPR fans call you Sir Les mm-hmm. and are so fond of you and why you've even when you've gone back to clubs that you've left like at Newcastle people sing your name and welcome you back is because of this sense that you're you're a good guy and Mm. you will treat people in the way that you want to be treated yourself but football is quite a cutthroat world in some cases do you feel like there's ever been a time where that's not helped you or you've thought hmm if I could have done things slightly differently, I might have come off better. Yeah, I think I think it goes back to what I said. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in what's meant to be in life will be. Um, so, if it wasn't for me to go to to um, to Newcastle, and it was really funny because when I went to when I when I went to Newcastle, mm. and um, I was sitting there talking to Kevin Keegan, and you know, we were talking about. He said I was actually trying to buy you to play with Andy Cole. Oof. Okay. He said, I thought you and Andy Cole would make a great pairing. And he said, so that was my intention. And he said, and he said, I called Alex Ferguson about Keith Gillespie. Right. And he said, and I called Keith about Keith Gillespie. And then Alex Ferguson said, well, I'll give you Keith Gillespie if you give me uh, Andy Cole. And he said, so it was just off. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't, you know, Man United calling up and saying, we want to sign Andy Cole. Yeah. Uh, as, as much as they probably wanted to, but they didn't think Newcastle would sell. Mm. So there was no point. So um, he said, I called about Keith Gillespie. He mentioned Andy Cohen, and that's how the deal happened. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, like I said, I'm a firm believer in, in life and what's meant to be will be. So I didn't, um, I wasn't kicking up a fuss. Like I said, the club had been really good to me. Um, I had a good rapport here with the supporters and everything else. So um, it was it was never a problem. But Les, Keegan's another one, isn't he? Because mm-hmm. he gave away your number nine shirt. <laughs> He yeah, did. He yeah, bloody did. Yeah, he did go. He, so he, he signed. What happened? You came in. Yep. So it's the entertainer season. Yes. Five, 95, 96. Yep. And then, then they signed Alan Shearer. Mm-hmm. But he was like, "I want the number nine shirt." No, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. And you know, again, I'd done a talk with Alan very recently, <laughs> and he said, I, "I would never have not signed for for, for Newcastle United because I didn't have the number nine shirt." Yeah. He said, but I asked a, a cheeky question, and um, he said, uh, "I asked." You know, you ask Keegan, what about number nine shirt? And, I've worn and, it everywhere. Well, so has Les. And, and Keegan said to him, well, I'll ask Les because Les is a nice guy and, you know, he might he might let you have it. So when he... And the, the fact, the mere fact that he came to, to ask me um, meant I knew he wanted Alan to, to wear it. And, you know, there was a lot of things going through my mind at the time. I mean, I'd never stood on the Gallagate, in the Gallagate or the Leasers end and supported the person wearing the number nine. Alan had done that. Mm. So it was, there was all these things going through my mind at the time. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was, it was a, a boyhood dream of his to, to, to wear the number nine shirt at, uh, at Newcastle. So again, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't overly stressed about it. Everybody made a bigger deal of it than, 
and I listen. I made a, I, I made a, a Keegan squirm when he was asking me about the number nine shirt and everything else. When was, so I was, I was at, at the time I was thinking about all these things about you know Alan standing on in in, in the stadium or you know like I say the Gallagher and w- watching the, the famous number nines wear them in the past. And but I thought I'd make him squirm a little bit, and that's what I did. Respect is such a huge thing in football, though. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. And you just achieved all that you had with Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Is it not a bit disrespectful? Uh, listen, um, I went to Tottenham and asked Darren Anderson, could I wear the number nine shirt? Yeah, but Tottenham were a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a team I supported as a boy. Yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? So, crap or not, do you know what I mean? I've, I've, I've done the same At thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's... Like I said, it wasn't, um, and I don't. I don't think Alan was doing it to be disrespectful. This was a boyhood dream of his. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think if you, you know, uh, if you asked Alan, uh, did you do it because you was, you want to be disrespectful to? Him? I don't think it was because of that. It was just a boyhood dream. He'd always dreamt about wearing the number nine shirt. Great question, Tom Shearer. Beardsley. But they then did agree to sell you the yes. following season. Yeah. So, was this a, was this a signifier? Do you think, looking back? What the the number nine shirt? The kind of you know you were the main man. Obviously, Alan Shearer is an ast- astonishing player. Yeah. Um, record goal scorer, all that stuff. So, it's no shame to be not preferred to him. Yeah. But even still. Yeah. No. I mean, when I when I when Keegan uh, when Keegan said to me, he pulled me and said, "Look, I'm signing Alan Shearer." And he said, look, loads of people here are going to say that um, you two can't play together. He said, I'm one of the few people that believe that you can. Okay. And, I said, and he said, I think it will be a partnership. So you'll hear loads of people saying that you're leaving, you're leaving this football club. He said, not as far as I'm concerned. Um, he said, I think you play together. And t- in our first, one and only season together, we scored 49 goals. So it was, it was pretty successful. Um, it was just that Keegan left the following year. Um, Kenny Dugleish came in. The club needed to raise six million pound. They were still getting offers of uh, six million pound for me at the time, and um, I remember speaking to to Kenny Dalglish and, and and saying and him saying to me, "Look, um, I'm, I'm going to go in and fight for you." I said, "I don't really want to fight for you. I don't want you to go and fight for me." I said, "Because if they're feeling like they want to sell me, I don't want to. I don't want to be somewhere that where people don't want me." Yes. He said, "Well, I, I want you." And I always remember sort of like when when Tottenham had uh, made the offer and um, I was I had to I was leaving on the team were going to play the Umbro tournament at Goodison Park on on the weekend and I got a call on the Thursday saying right they've agreed they've agreed the the the, the offer um, you're free to go and speak to to Tottenham so the next day um, on the Friday I had to drive down to London um, to do to to try and get there in time to do a medical. But what I did was I went to the training ground in the morning to pick my boots up and everything and, and, and say goodbye to everyone. And I remember uh, Doug Lee's calling me in his office and he <laughs> I went in and he said, Jimmy, you know, I don't want you to go. Um, and I said, yeah, but if you've got a fight to keep me here, I don't want that either. Mm. And he, he he understood where I was coming from. And I remember just as I was about to go out the door, he went to me, I hope you failed a medical. <laughs> 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 so um, I went down to London. Um, I had the medical, and I wasn't I wasn't meeting Alan Sh- uh, Sugar until the Sunday. Sir Alan Sugar, I should say. I wasn't meeting Alan, Sir Alan Sugar until the Sunday. So I had the medical on the Friday, um, and then Alan Sh- Alan Shearer broke his ankle. Yes. In the Umbro tournament on the Saturday, and then I got a call. But I got a call. I'm um, saying that um, Newcastle wanted, wanted to bring you back. 
but unfortunately because they've accepted the rules of the the football league and and the Premier League and stuff at the time where that if a, if you've accepted a bid from from a club you can no longer speak to that player um so although I was still registered with Newcastle they couldn't speak to me to say they wanted to keep me there to go through my agents and stuff like that so they came down and I just said look the way it's, it's all been handled if, if I go and, once I go and speak to Alan Sugar if he if he if I like what he's got to say um, I'm going to sign for, for Tottenham and this is exactly what I did I like what Alan had to say and where he wanted to take the club um, and I look at I look at Tottenham now and I think Daniel Levy's done an exceptional job uh, in, in, in what he's done at Tottenham but I always say that Alan Sugar was the start of where Tottenham is today Lots of our listeners sent in questions to you yeah. but one of them was that just to, to finish talking about the Alan Shearer um, trident no that's two that's three bits for the prong <laughs> the, the the incredible pairing that you yeah. guys had he he asked do you feel like you missed out that you'd only played a season together yeah 100% uh, and if you ask Alan um, he'll say the same thing um, you know we've we've often talked about I see Alan on the circuit quite a lot we play golf sometimes and we've we've been in the studios a few times and people always ask this question and you know we say to each other you know we used to stand on the start of the, the, the centre circle and, and we'd, before kick-off and we, we used to say, shall we cause mayhem today? Because uh, I knew they w- didn't want to play against Alan, they didn't want to play against myself. And, yeah. and we used to say, and, you know, even in the tunnel, you know, centre-halves would look across at us and think, OK, I'm going to mark it, now I'm going to mark it, now I'm going to mark him instead. Like, you know what I mean? So it was, um, yeah, no, it was a shame that it was only one season because I really do believe we would have gone on and scored. A shed load of goals for Newcastle. Yes, yes. Although Alan yes. did score a shed load of goals. That's true, he did score the odd goal. I would have added my shed to that as well. Yeah, for sure. What was it What was it like? Can you give us a sense of what it was like to go back a season? Uh, I know we're dotting around here, but um, to be part of that entertainer season where you, where you of course, in the end, yeah. lost the 12-point lead. I mean, listen, it, it, when I joined Newcastle and in, 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 in the first six months of that was everything I could have dreamed about and probably more in terms of the way, you know, in terms of goal scoring for myself and in terms of the way that team were playing, you know, and, and I, I, probably at the time uh, of playing in it, you didn't realise how well we were playing until you look at it now and, and, and people talk about the entertainers and I think about the players that we had in the team and um, and the way we went about our business and we was always, you know, the, our motto was, all right, you'll score one, we'll score two, all right, if you score two, we'll score three. And and for a centre forward, that's, you know, it's paradise. I mean, I had people like Rob Lee and Peter Beardsley and uh, Spriller and Janola and Gillespie in my in my, in my first year. And, and, and what, what these guys were, they wanted me to score goals. You know, they would, and when I say they wanted me to score goals, they they were supplying me with ammunition. You know, you know, Peter Beardsley I always say was one of those players that he got as much excitement out of someone scoring as he did as himself scoring. So laying someone in to score, and I remember I remember scoring a hat trick against uh, Wimbledon at St James's Park, and my, my my final goal, the ball comes into Rob Lee, and he could have easily headed it towards goal. Uh, Vinnie, Go- Vinnie Jones was in goal at the time I don't remember that because uh, their goalkeeper got sent off and he could have easily headed it to, uh, towards goal but he put it down to me because he knew I was going to score my hat-trick you know and, and, and just being part of a team that you know play to your strengths and um, yeah it was like I said it was anything, everything I could have dream- dreamt about at the time Aspria has got through here Ferdinand 1-1 10 minutes gone Great skill here by Asprey, and he had the presence of mind too to pick out Ferdinand. And it was a really sharp finish from the England striker. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. about Peter Beardsley because yes. obviously he's, he's um, well he was I, can't, I don't know what the term is exactly but he was basically banned from working in football for, yeah. for several months mm-hmm. as a result of things that he'd been saying to, to young players including racist things yeah. is that was that did that come as a surprise to you how do you feel about that yeah certainly it certainly did um, you know when I came into when I came into football there was a level of language that was used that was acceptable um, in terms of people cracking jokes and so on and so forth, um, that all what people thought was acceptable, and and over the years that's changed. Um, sometimes human beings don't change, and I'm not saying Peter hadn't changed. I'm just saying what 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 was people were able to say ten years ago, you can't say now. Do you feel like people think you've got all the answers because of the colour of your skin? Do you feel <laughs> Do you feel frustrated that people seem to? Yeah, I, I do get frustrated because you know we often get you know I often get people now speaking to me about diversity in the workforce, and you know I get people saying to us, um, you know, you at, here at QPI, you, you seem to be doing things right, and in terms of your your workforce and your diversity, and and blah, you've got one of the most diverse workforces in in, in football and all that. Um, I want to talk to you about. Don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to the people that are not doing it right. Why do you want to talk to about? Why? Why do you want to talk to about something that's being done right? Go and talk to the people that are not doing it right, and ask them why they're not doing it right. Why are you coming and asking me when you know everything uh, you, you're saying that everything we're doing is right? And ask the people that are not doing it right. You feel like they're asking you for answers, yeah. but they're not necessarily taking. Advice. Oh, <laughs> I, I often say it, it kind of reminds me of like. Um, I always say to people, it's almost like, you, you know, when your house gets, but unfortunately, if your house gets burgled and the police come around and they go, right, okay, yeah, we see your house being burgled. Yeah. You have been burgled, yeah. What do you want us to do about it now? <laughs> oh, my God. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, well, now we know you've been burgled. What, yeah, can you, can you help yeah, us? What, what do you want us to do about it now? You know what I mean? So... I feel like that's how you feel sometimes, you know what I mean? I just, you know, and, I, um, and that's why I've stopped talking about it. That's why, you know, all the, all the stuff with the taking knee and everything else. And, you know, every time there's a, a, another racist incident in the crowd or whatever, you know, you know, people park up here and want to ask you questions about what should we do about it? You tell me what we should do about it. Yeah. You know, I'm tired of telling you what I think you should do about it because you're not listening to us. But every time there's another incident, you're, you're, you're coming and talking to one of us. Yeah, you spoke about that you thought taking the knee had lost its power, mm-hmm. um, which was, I thought, a symptom of you being becoming this kind of elder statesman. Elder statesman, <laughs> sorry, that's, you're, 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 you're looking great. Yeah. You're not that old, um, but you know, becoming um, a kind of a, not necessarily on subjects of race, but just generally like a more of an elder statesman in the game. Mm. Is that a, is that a role you feel comfortable with do you feel that yeah listen I've been for a lot in, in in this game and I've seen a lot and um you know my reasons for not taking the and, and and I spoke about them at the time and there's a lot of people who are saying that no no you need to take it because it's it's a, it's a symbol and I understand it you know what I've been saying for a long time is let's not talk about something let's see action mm-hmm. and taking the knee yep okay that was an action and I think at the beginning it was very very powerful but my question is what comes after it What's the changes? Where, where, where are we making the changes? What, what are the changes going to be? 
you know, we could we could be taking the knee for the next five years, but what are the changes? And I'm still not seeing the changes. And now people are like, oh yeah, people taking the knee, you're like, yeah, okay. Let me talk to my mate for a little bit while they take the knee and then we'll, we'll carry on with the game. You know, so, yeah, that's just, just, just me. Yeah, and the, I mean, the, I remember the very first time it happened, it was the most, like, stunning thing. Yeah. But I see, I do see what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I keep saying, I, I, I always say to people, we're made to believe that this problem only exists in football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, of course, have, obviously, you have very famous family members also playing or have who've played in the game. Yeah. Did you, this, building on this idea of you being someone that people come to and, and ask for their thoughts on things, is that is that a role you play in your family as well? No, not really. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, not so. Um, they're big enough and bold enough to, 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 to speak for themselves. They've gone through incidents. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that Anton went through a real um, a terrible time. And, and again, you know, um, because of who he went through the time with, he became the victim. No, he became the uh, aggressor. Right. Not the victim. He was he was the perpetrator of the, of the problem. That's how they turned it around in the end. Mm. You know, and he had a, a real tough time for it and, and the abuse he got for it was like... And, and this is what I'm talking about. You know, what's the changes? What, where are we seeing the changes? What, what's happening? And, um, yeah, and, and, and Rio's, you know... He's an advocate for everything and, and, and does really well and speaks really well. And, you know, I'm glad to see him doing really well on BT Sport and stuff like that. And I so mean, you're... Yeah, we're second... 12, what, 12 years yeah, older we're, than we're second cousins, so we kind of like growing up, we didn't really know each other. Fine, okay. it, it so it's more like yeah, when you came in. When we get into, when we got into football, we, we kind of realised. Um, and really funny because Rio was uh, was at QBR when he was a young kid. Yeah. And, and that's how I first met him. I'd, I'd, I'd injured myself in the game on a Saturday and I'd just come in for treatment on a Sunday. And he was playing for for the young team, and um, I met him and his uh, his dad at the time, and his dad was explaining to me how we were cousins and stuff like that. And then the next time I saw him, he was um, he when I but the first time I saw him, he was he was short and he was like, but he was he, he was a good footballer. Everyone was telling me. And the next time I saw him, he was six foot four, and he was, <laughs> and I was trying to jump against him. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it was uh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, but we know that's fine. Because we know about Les's leap, right? <laughs> we know that you're what six foot. Yeah, just, but you can you got foot. you've got hang time. Yes, you can get up high. That's one of the images a lot of people I think will have of you, yeah. um, heading the ball home, being able to do that. Yeah, it's funny because everyone I see, everyone I, I meet people all the time. I go, you're not that tall, are you? <laughs> and they go, but when I used to watch you on the TV, I thought you were seven foot tall. You know, and it was because I used to be able to jump and. And as you say, I was able to hang there for a little bit. I was a big fan of Michael Jordan's when I was growing up, so I've obviously learned something from Michael. It's cool. It's really cool to watch. Do you think heading will continue to be a part of the game in the next, like, you know, 40, 40 years, let's it's say? It's actually, it's it's quite scary because we're hearing all the stuff about, um, you know, the mentoring and, and the heading of the balls and stuff like that, and there's a lot of sort of like research going into it now. Um, I actually went to the, I went for dinner with a doctor, um, Who's who's doing all the research? And Alan did a program with him on on, on BBC a while, yeah. a while back, and I went I went to dinner with him because I was a little bit scared, and my and my club doctor MTS knows him knows him quite well, so we went and had dinner, and and and, and he was you know he was quite open, and he said look there's no correlation between someone heading the ball and he said but not enough footballers have left their their brains to science to for us to to, to examine and there's a certain amount of people every year that are going to get dementia and if you look at the amount of footballers there there are in the world obviously footballers are going to get dementia as well there's no there's no at the moment there's no correlation between the two so you know they're doing they're, they're doing research and all that and i, I know that um just before the pandemic, um, they would they they asked me to, to to come in and would I would I help with this research and you know because I headed a lot of balls and I said yes but um, the pandemic happened and it's it's gone quiet so hopefully they take that up again and yeah I'll be I'll be more than willing to to help in any way I can. Brilliant. Okay. But I, I do think it will um, with the way things are going. You're saying in forty years' time, I think they'll still be heading balls. Possibly not. Do you watching football now? Do you see who do you see a bit of your, do you see a bit of yourself in people in anyone um, in particular? 
No, not really. Really? No. Was anyone less Ferdinand? We, uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't mean. I didn't mean it like that. I just <laughs> went. Who do I? Who do I look at and think plays like how I played? Um, I think the thing is now. I think when you look at football, there's not what I'd call a traditional number nine anymore. You know. You know when you when in and again sitting in the, sitting in that chair over there, um, when people come in and say to me, I got I got I got a forward for you. Um, on a couple position play, he can play nine, he can play eleven, or he can play, you know, he can play wide left, or he can play wide right, or you know, he comes in off the side. So most of the centre forward now are not, not what I'd call a traditional number nine. You got Harland at uh, at, uh, at Man City, you got Harry Kane. Outside of those two, um, I'm not sure if you've got like a traditional number nine in in in, in the Premier League, really. You know, yeah, you've got sorry, um, you've got the boys at Newcastle. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they're, they're number nines. But other than that, yeah, there's not a lot of teams that you look at and go, "All right, we've got that traditional number nine who plays up front on his own." Are you saying when people come to tell you about a player, they're telling you because players are brought up to have more range? Yeah, people aren't trained to become. Yeah, I think, I think Messi and uh, and Ronaldo made it fashionable to not be number nines and still be able to score lots of goals. Mm. You know, Neymar um, is not a traditional number nine, but scores lots of goals. Mm. Mbappe's more more of a number nine, but still not what I would call a traditional number nine because you don't see him scoring many headed goals. Do you know what I mean? So there's a, there's a group of some of the best players in the world who don't play as traditional number nines. And, but score lots of goals. One of the questions that lots of people wrote in with, and one of our um, one of our fellow people on the ramble, Pete Donaldson, who's a Newcastle fan, wanted to know about was about this helicopter license of yours. Okay. Um, the way it was put in the text he sent me was, "Is it true that you got a helicopter license so you could just go and float about in the sky and get away from it all?" And then one of my other friends <laughs> message saying cool. that you planned to commute to Bolton when you were playing there under Allardyce <laughs> in a helicopter. Has um, this been overblown? It's been it's been overblown. Um, I I kind of like did it because someone actually put it in my head. Uh, when, it's actually when I was at Newcastle. Yeah. When I was at Newcastle, Kevin Keegan said to me, look, you, you, you're going from London, which is... You know, you can go anywhere in London and because you see loads of famous people, no one bothers you. Yeah. He said, up here, you'll get bothered. Um, it's a goldfish bowl and you won't be able to do too much. So he said, tell me what you want to do and um, tell me a few things that you might want to do and, and, and we'll try and help you. She said, okay. I said, I want to learn how to cook. I want to learn how to play the saxophone and I want to learn how to ride a motorbike. So went, The third one is out, So he went, I can help you with two of those. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I can help you with the third. So I went, well, you asked me... Did you me. genuinely so, think you were going to be allowed to ride a motorbike and play professional football? And I went, well, you asked me what I wanted to do and I've told you. So I says, okay. He said, all right, I'll, tell you, I'll have a deal with you. I'll allow you to ride a motorbike, learn how to ride a motorbike. And he had a Harley made for him and it was in his shop up there. He said, as long as you promise to ride the Harley to, 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 um, to my house when you've passed your test. I said, okay, no problem, I'll do that. And the reason why he did that, because he knew I was going to do it anyway. Um, so um, I learned how to cook, I learned how to play the saxophone, and I learned I learned how to ride a motorbike. And and he he'd done something in the program, uh, one of the programs up there, and he he said like you know about the, the you know they was talking about because at the time I think there was Warren Bart and Shaka Hislop and myself who'd come from sort of like London, being in London up to up to Newcastle, and he's saying look, you know we've been trying to find things for these guys to do and blah 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 Les is doing this 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 Warren's doing this this, this. and then um, and then someone came on and said look you know now you've done those things would you like to learn how to fly a helicopter yes. so I got a message and I was like first of all I was like no he said why don't you come down to Newcastle Airport we'll have a chat and blah 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 and that's what I did I went down and I had a chat with him and I was like he goes uh, he said to me uh, uh, it was a little R22 this little tiny two seater thing and I was like that you know, because I was thinking of this big, massive helicopter. He like, goes, yeah, this is what you're learning and blah, blah, blah. I said, why don't we go up, go up today? And I was like, no, nah, not today. It's blowing a bit of a gale. And he went, no, nah, once you get above a certain level, you'll be okay. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going above that certain, <laughs> I'm not going above that certain level today. And then he, he just got, it just got into my head. And um, I came back down to London and it was still in my head. Um, I'd left Newcastle, came down to London. And he called me again. He said, I'm now working in Milton Keynes. Um, just checking on whether you still want to do it. 
did I went and had my first lesson. And um and I thought, oh yeah. And I'm normally someone who I go, right, I really want to do that, I really want to do that. And I do it for a couple of months and then I get bored now, I want to do something else. And then I thought, no, nah, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do this all the way, I'm gonna pass my test and um and I did. I was uh, I was at Tottenham and I was I was leaving the training ground in the afternoons and I was going, Where are you off to? I was going, I'm just going home. And I was and, and it was it was a particularly bad year for weather, so I would I was leaving the training <laughs> ground early and then the guy would go, Oh Les, what we're gonna work on today, the weather's too bad to work on it, so we're gonna have to do it next week and I was like I was I was going in the end. Uh, I passed my test and we used to go away on a Friday night and so we'd be in a hotel on a Friday night. Um and I used to room on my own, so um I I had seven exams to do. Um, you got to do seven exams: ear law, uh, human uh, biology. Uh, um, you had to do navigation. There was loads. Of, there was seven exams that you had to do. So what I'd be, I'd be stuck in my room. I'd go to we'd be, we'd be have a game the next day, and I'd be in my hotel doing my doing trying to do my study for my exams and all that. And eventually, I passed my test. I passed my test, and and to be fair, I was I was going to retire from football. I went to Leicester and after we got relegated at Leicester, um, I was, I, that was me done. And, and Sam persuaded me to, to play for another year. He, he kind of looked at all my stats and everything. He said, you've still got too much to offer football. So I went there and I thought, well, do you know what? If I'm going to go there, I'm going to fly. You did? So I used to. So what I used to do, I used to fly from Elstree to uh, Barton Airport, right. leave, the, leave, leave the helicopter there, go get a taxi into training. And then I'd stay, I'd stay up in Bolton or in Manchester for two or three days. And then Sam might say to us, look, you've got, um, we're in London on Saturday. He, and, and, and Sam was brilliant with me. He, he, he knew I was at an age where I didn't need to train every day. Um, I just needed to do something. So he'd go, right, here's, here's your programme. The physios were brilliant. They'd give me a programme and i say, right, go to the gym and do that. So I'd do those progr- that programme at home and then I'd meet them in a hotel on, 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 Saturday, on Friday. Um, before the game and so I'd go to Barton fly back to, to Elstree uh, and that was my commute I never took it into the training ground I only I only took it into the training ground once when I was at Reading when I left Bolton and I went to Reading I went to uh, I was at, I was in I went into training one day and the boys went to me Les you've got a helicopter haven't you and I said yeah yeah and they said to me so what'd you do so I said what do you mean so they say, well, what do you do? I said, well, well, I fly it. And they goes, no, 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 I mean, when you want to go somewhere, what do you do? And I said, well, call up the, the flying school and say, look, I'm, I'm, I want to go from here to there. Can you get the helicopter ready? And they go, okay. And then, and then what, does the pilot pick you up from home or do you, when you get there? And I went, no, there's no pilot. I fly it. And none of them believed me. It was all like, no, no chance, no chance. I was going, yeah. So Steve Koppel heard the, the, the conversation and um, he said to me, uh, one day we we had a, we played on Saturday and we was playing on a, on a Tuesday night or the Wednesday, so we was in on the Sunday. And he said to me, why don't you fly in? Um, I said, and give the boys a bit of a, a G up. So I said, okay, no problem. So um, I flew. It was like, it used to take me like 45 minutes to an hour to get from my house to, to Reading. Took me twelve minutes in the helicopter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then I flew in. I remember he said, "Wait till I bring the boys out, and then you can fly." So as I, as as they were coming out, I flew in, and as I landing, and obviously no one sitting next to me it was just me on my own. And the boys were like, "I remember Lloyd Owusu. It was was more than anyone couldn't believe it. Like you know, so um, yeah. And that was the only time I brought into Germany, only because the manager told me to bring it in because it would be a bit of fun. So yeah, that was it. That is seriously flash. <laughs> My goodness, mate. Incredible. But it wasn't done. Um, and I never asked him, can I bring it in? I, I, to, 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 uh, I want to show off to everyone. He said, he heard the conversation. He went, why don't you fly in then? And, and that's what I did. That is wicked. Yeah, I should tell the listeners that's actually how Les met us this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Stepped out like something out of fun. Alex Ferguson can protest some more. Early ball in towards Ferdinand. Howard is there, Carr's lost it. Ferdinand battles on, Ferdinand! Les Ferdinand has put it in the net for Bolton, has scored his first goal for Bolton and has buried Manchester United. That is sensational. Do you miss it then? Do you miss playing? Oh, but you know, there's not there's not a day that I sit in the stands watching a game. You know, every weekend I'm sitting in the stands and there's not a day I don't miss playing football. There's not a day when I go out and watch training that I wish I couldn't join in and stuff like that. And I used to when I was at Tottenham coaching, I used to join in all the time. Um but um you know, as as age has crept up on me and the knees don't move or the body don't move as well as it used to, um I've had to, to stand on the sidelines and just clap the up clap the ones that can do it.
what do you how do you how do you handle that then i think i, I was really fortunate kate um i didn't retire until i was 39 nearly 40 you know uh, when i retired i retired in, in in may and i was 40 in december so um i had a, a long go at it and a good go at it and i was fortunate because I, I i i left when i felt the time was right for me to leave, rather than someone pat me on the back and saying, "Look, there's no, not another contract for you." I was still being offered the con- contracts when I when I decided to retire. So I kind of, so I think the decision was easier to make, and that's why, yeah, of course I miss playing football. Is what I love doing, and 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 it's, it's been a major part of my life. Um, but it was a realization that I couldn't do it as well as I wanted to do it anymore. So that was a time to pack it in. So you know, like I said, I sit on the sidelines and clap now, and I'm I'm one of those uh, people that sit in the stand and go, "How did he miss that? How did he not save that? How did he, how did he not miss that pass over there?" Because when we're in the stands, we're the best players in the world. We're all like Messi in the stand, didn't we? You know. So um, yeah, uh, but um, there's, there's a realization that you, you know you just can't do it anymore. <laughs> thank you Les thank you no. so much for joining us for the drop in no, and for, for this incredible chat I've had such such fun and thank I'm looking forward to you driving us back home in the helicopter, the helicopter. <laughs> thanks for having me on it no, it's been good I've enjoyed it heading out past more training pitches all of which are so pristine out of the training facility and I have to say, this might be the last episode of the drop-in because I have a new ambition, which is just to work with Les Ferdinand somehow. Like, that, <laughs> we just have had the most, I don't know, soul-warming two hours. Just so open and warm and, like, engaged in the whole conversation that I thought that was really special. So I hope you all enjoyed it and... Uh, If you've got anyone you think we ought to interview for the next episode or for the next few episodes, then get in touch at KVL Mason or at Football Ramble. Um, But you're going to have to have some really good suggestions because Les Ferdinand, I hope you agree, was incredible. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.